of Bible verses on the screen for you as well. Five frogs were sitting on a log. Four of them decided to jump off the log. How many frogs are sitting on the log now? That's what I thought too. But I was wrong. Because you can decide to do something but never do it. Right? Ah, But it's true. They decided to jump off, but they didn't. Right? Have you ever decided to do something, but you didn't ever actually do it? Any of us? Am I the only one? Okay. Like maybe you decided to get better grades this year, but you didn't actually do it. Right? Or maybe you decided to like be nicer to your parents, and you didn't actually do it. Or nicer to your annoying little sibling or whatever, and you didn't actually do it. I mean, there's lots of examples we could probably think of, of things that we decide to do, but then we don't actually do it. So how do we get past, like, deciding to do something, deciding that's a good thing, to actually taking action to do it? In the series, Sit Together, we're talking about what it looks like to love others to Jesus, to share the gospel, to share the message of hope and eternal life that Jesus gives us. And I'm sure that we all have decided that's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to do. Maybe you've decided that's something I want to do someday myself. Or that's something I want to do even now. But it's one thing to decide to do something. It's another thing to do it. So what's one way to go beyond deciding to do something? Here's a very important way. You decide to do it with someone else. Like if you want to get better grades and you want to study hard for this class, if you had a friend in the same class where you guys agreed, hey, we're going to try really hard to ace this test. We're going to study together. We're going to hold each other accountable to reading the chapters we're supposed to read and doing all these things. You are far more likely to succeed, right? Because you're not doing it alone. In the Christian life, if you're struggling with the temptation, and you need accountability. You could have a friend be your accountability partner and, and call each other up and, and ask how they're doing. Because if you decide, oh, I'm going to resist this temptation, but you don't bring someone along with you to help you do it, you're far less likely to do it, right? I'm not saying it's impossible to do it, but you're far less likely. When it comes to sharing the love of Jesus with other people in our lives, when it comes to sharing the gospel, here's the good news. We are not sent alone. We are sent together. And that's really the main point of our passage tonight is that we are sent together. And that should be able to give us boldness. Jordan says, not working, man. All right, it's okay. That should be able to give us boldness to do it. It's on the screen anyways, right? I was going to say, that would make a great series title, right? Sent together. But that'll give us boldness. That'll give us accountability. That'll give us the ability to really uh, be able to do it. You guys grabbing your sweaters? Yeah. All right, hurry. Man. All right, so tonight uh, we're looking at a story of Jesus 
sending people out together to go before him in some different towns. So in Jesus' ministry, he would go around to these different towns, he'd preach the gospel, he'd heal their sick, and, and do stuff like that. But there was a point in time in his ministry where he sent out 72 people ahead of him in groups of two to do some evangelism, to prepare the way for Jesus to come to these different areas. That's what we're looking at tonight. Did you know that if you're a believer, you're never alone? You're never alone. It may feel like you're alone sometimes, but that's just the lie of the enemy, okay? You're never alone. First of all, you always have Jesus with you. Second of all, you always have the body of Christ, people who love Jesus, people who love you, who want to support you. So when it comes to being sent together in this scary thing that we call evangelism and sharing the gospel, the main thing I want you guys to get tonight is you are not alone. We are sent together. Okay? Let's pick it up. I want to give you guys some context right before Jesus sends out these 72 people in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 63. This is what it says. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first... Let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Here's the first way we are sent together. We are sent together as followers. We are sent together as followers. This is what, this is, what is leading into the passage that we're looking at where he sends out the 72. But first, Jesus talks about what does it look like to actually follow me? What does it look like? If you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, what does that actually look like? And Jesus says some things here that are kind of like, man, Jesus isn't playing, right? The call to follow Jesus, first of all, is countercultural. It's always been countercultural. It's all always will be countercultural. Uh, the world doesn't like Jesus. The enemy, the devil, he doesn't like Jesus. They're going to do anything they can to shame the name of Jesus, to shame the people of God. Okay? And so they're completely against Jesus and what he stands for. It goes against our own sin nature as well. Because we want to do what we want to do, and we don't always want to do what God wants to do, right? And so there are things in our life that would keep us from following Jesus. Have you ever experienced something in your life that keeps you from being radical in your following of Jesus? I have. Did you know that Christians are supposed to be rebels? Did you know that? I rebel. This is old rap song. Uh, is it is it Lecrae? Lecrae Rebellion. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know the lyrics. I'm not going to quote you guys. But it talks about Christians are supposed to be rebels. What does it look like to be a rebel? Well, in your mind, you might be thinking, okay, well, I'm doing drugs, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. Like, I'm a rebel, man, and I'm wearing the 
the rebel jacket or what, whatever, whatever that picture of rebel is in your mind. But truly, if you like really want to be a rebel and you want to go against the crowd, then follow Jesus. Honestly. Because most people don't want to do that. Like really radically follow after Jesus. All the people that say they're rebels and they're like, yeah, I, I live my life my way and, and all that. Dude, everybody lives their life their way. You're not a rebel if you're just following your own life and your own heart and your own desires. Everybody does that. Right? Everybody does that. You want to be a rebel? Follow God's heart. Follow God's desires for your life. That would make you different. So Christians, first and foremost, are rebels. Everybody say, I'm a rebel. Man, you guys, that was the that was weak. Everybody say, I'm a rebel. There you go. Alright, go home. Tell your parents. Jared told me to rebel. No, don't tell them that. Context. Context, right? Context is not rebel against parents. Context is rebel against everything our culture says about truth, about love, about God, about how to have a great life. Okay? Here's the deal. People come up to Jesus, and a guy comes up to Jesus. Let's go back to that verse real quick. He says, I want to follow you, Jesus. And now, if I'm Jesus, and I want people to follow me, which Jesus wants people to follow him, he could be like, oh, awesome, like, join the crew. Here's a t-shirt. I love Jesus, you know. Here's a t-shirt. Here's, a, here's how you get plugged in. Here's the next steps table. I'll show you how to get plugged in here. I want to follow Jesus. Okay, great. I'll plug you in. But then Jesus' response isn't like that. His response is, if you're going to follow me, it's not going to be comfortable. He said, "Go. let's go back right here. I'll follow you wherever you go. Foxes have dens to live in. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man, that's Jesus talking about himself, has no place even to lay his head. Jesus was nomadic. He's traveling from place to place. That's part of this. But also Jesus is telling him in a spiritual sense, if you're going to follow me, and if you're willing to go wherever I go, you're going to go to places that are uncomfortable for you. Following Jesus is not always comfortable for us, right? And then Jesus... So somebody says, I want to follow you, right? And then Jesus says to someone else now, follow me, right? He says to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed and said, first, you know, my dad died. Let me go home and bury my father. And Jesus could have been like, oh, like, let me pray for you. Like, I'm so sympathetic. You know, I'll do the funeral service. Jesus is a straight up savage, man. He's like, let the dead bury their own dead. Right? Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. That's sad. That's just like, That's what are you doing, Jesus? And then another says, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Maybe they're overhearing this conversation. But first, let me say bye to my family. Now, this is a reasonable request, right? Let me say goodbye to my family. You know, we're going on a mission trip to Costa Rica. I, this just came to my mind. What if we were like, we had a rule. You can't say bye to your family. How many people would want to go on the mission trip? Not many people. Because that's, Josh is like, I'm good. Peace out, Dad. Dad's sitting right next to him. That's great. 
Yeah. How many people, not that many people want to go on that mission trip. But Jesus is setting a standard here. Uh, you can't bury your father. You can't say goodbye. What's he saying? He's saying it's not going to be convenient. Oh, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I let me, let me take care of this first. Jesus, I want to follow you, uh, but I'm going to like really focus on following you when I'm out of high school, when I'm out of college, when I'm married, when I have kids, when I'm divorced, when I'm dead. People put off following Jesus. They put things first before following Jesus because they want to follow Jesus on their own convenient timing. But it's not convenient. So Jesus says, you want to follow me, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be convenient. And to the last guy here, he says, you can't say goodbye. You don't look back. He says, no one puts their hand to the plow. A plow is, you know, like when you got a field and you got crops, they, they make this, uh, this line in the ground. They're plowing the ground. I'm right, right? I'm right about that. Yeah, that's what a plow is. Yeah. Chilling the soil. He says, you don't do that and like turn around. You keep working. You go forward. This one time when I was young, uh, during the summertime, me and some of my friends, we'd hang out in this cul-de-sac behind my house. And we would do like Nerf Wars and, and stuff like that. And there was this one time though, I was, I was on the street and there was this big dog. In the front yard, and this dog was, you know, maybe like that high, like sitting down. It was just a big dog, and this dog was sitting in his front yard. I saw it, and didn't have a leash on it, and it barked at me. Okay, like big, like big dog barking, right? And I, I took off, man. I took off, and I don't think that I was probably like. I was definitely less than 14. I was 13, 12. I don't know. I wasn't that old. Maybe 14. I don't think I've ever run faster in my life. Even as a grown man, I don't think I ran as fast as I did when I was this little boy running from this dog. I'm telling you, I was flying. I, I felt like I was flying. Like, it was another... It was like... It was like Forrest Gump running from the bullies. Okay, that's an old movie reference. You guys may not get that. But I was flying, okay? And I, you know what I wasn't doing? I wasn't looking back to see the dog. I did not care. I had one mission. Just, just go. Like, my it's just my animal instincts to just run as fast as I could. And when you meet Jesus, what happened? The Bible says you go from death to life. The Bible says you go from darkness to light. You go from shame to glory. Like, if I'm in darkness and I see light, I'm going to run to it and I'm not going to look back. I'm going to fly as fast as I can because that's where I want to be. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You don't, you don't look back. You don't turn around. You want to be a part of my kingdom? This is what I ask of you. You give me everything. How can God ask everything of you? Because he gave everything for you. That's how he can. First of all, he created you to be in a relationship with him. He gave his only begotten son. He gave everything for you to be in a relationship with him. So God can ask everything from you because he gave everything for you. And I got to be honest with you. As I was 
sorry. As I was like looking at this passage, part of me was like tempted a little bit to sugarcoat this. It's tempting because these are can be interpreted to be harsh words from Jesus. Now, to some of you guys, this may sound harsh, but if you love God, then you're going to understand what I'm about to say. If you don't really love God, or you like maybe love God, kind of, sort of, not really, then you're not going to understand this. I want for you to experience the love and grace of God in your life. It is amazing. It is powerful. It's life-changing. But you cannot experience it if you do not surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You can't experience it. That's what Jesus is saying. Following Him is surrendering. Because if you follow Jesus just as long as you are comfortable following Jesus, you're not really following Jesus, you're following your comfort. If you follow Jesus just as long as it's convenient for you, you're not following Jesus, you're following your convenience. But if you're following Jesus and you're willing to go wherever He goes, and there's no turning back, then you're going to know what it really means to experience the love and grace of God in your life in a powerful way. And the question is, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to give up my comfort? Us Americans, we are so, like, comfort-driven. We don't want to get out. I mean, sometimes I'll just be chilling on my couch, and I'm like, I'm just going to grub hub this, man. Like, I don't want to get up, right? We, we're so comfort-driven. We're so convenience-driven. The gospel isn't convenient because it's not convenient to have your life completely flipped upside down, right? It's not convenient, but it's true, and it's good, and it's right, and it's everything you've ever wanted in your life, but you can't have it by just deciding. You have to have it by doing. Don't just decide to follow Jesus. Actually follow Jesus, and your life will be transformed forever. Here's how God loved the world. He gave His greatest treasure. He gave His only begotten Son. If your, if your comfort is a greater treasure than the Son of God, if your comfort is a greater treasure than Jesus, then you can't follow Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. You have to treasure Him above all other things. That's what it means to really be a follower of Him. So we could do an entire series on that, but we're going to move on, okay? It's hard sometimes to follow Jesus, but the good news is that even though it's hard, what does God give us? He doesn't send us alone. He sends us together. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord, who's in charge of the harvest, and ask him to send more workers into his fields. <coughs> Still got some of that lingering COVID cough. I don't have COVID right now. Chill out. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. All right, this is going to be fun. Here we go. So Jesus sends them out. 
two by two, just like the little animals scurrying in Noah's Ark, right? He sends them out two by two, so they got a buddy with them. And he says, go to these different towns, preach the gospel. I mean, he gives them power to heal. He gives them power over demons. He talks about a harvest. What's a harvest? Well, their harvest was these towns. A harvest is like the people. Thank you, Thank you Rick. Appreciate you, buddy. Hey, let's give it for Rick and Terry. Go on and help them out. Um, so, where was I at? Here we go. So he sends them out to the harvest. That was their harvest. What's your harvest? Okay? Maybe for some of you guys, your harvest is your family. Maybe for some of you guys, your harvest is your friends. Maybe it's a teammate. I don't know who that is. But it's the people that need to hear about Jesus. That's what your harvest is. And what did Jesus say about the harvest in that verse? He said the harvest is plentiful. But I was thinking about what's a harvest that's general for all of you guys. Maybe it's your family, friends, whatever, oikos, that's the word that we use for that. But here's one that's general for pretty much all of you guys. We are sent together to our campuses. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Are you saying that God cares about my life, not just when I'm at church, but when I'm at school? I don't know, man. I don't know. That's, that's crossing some lines for me. Hey, look, God, God wants your whole heart. God wants your whole life. Because it's comfortable and it's convenient to follow Jesus at church. It's comfortable and convenient to follow Jesus at summer camp. It's comfortable and convenient to follow Jesus if you're in a Christian home, at home. But we just read in the Bible where Jesus didn't say, follow me when it's comfortable. If you're going to be worthy of my kingdom, if you're going to be a real follower of me, Jesus said, follow me anywhere. Right? That's the call. And for a lot of you guys, what that means, your harvest is your campuses. It's the kids that are on your campus. And I know that sounds scary, but what did Jesus say about the harvest? He said the harvest is plentiful. Talking about Mary Mesa High School, talking about Rancho Minara High School, talking about Scripps High, Wagonheim, Challenger, uh, who am I missing? Bernardo Heights. Oak Valley. Uh, Oak Valley, you know, all, all of your different schools, right? He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But you know what we think sometimes? We think, man, Jesus doesn't get it. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about, man. Because you don't know my school. You don't know all the agenda stuff they're trying to push that's against God in my class. You don't know the stuff that the guys in my team are talking about in the locker room. You don't know how much people hate God and they don't want to hear about the gospel. They don't want to change their life. They don't want any of that, Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. It's not like you created those people at my school, loved them, died for them, put a Christian in their classroom sitting next to them, on their teammate, a teammate, Christian teammate on their team to share the gospel with them. Obviously, I'm speaking a little sarcastically because Jesus did do all of those things for the kids at your school. He made you. 
He made you. He made you to be a preacher. He made you to be a gospel sharer, to be a love sharer. And the question here is like, if I, if I trust in myself, man, I get scared. But if I trust in Jesus who says the harvest is plentiful, then I feel like I have confidence because I think Jesus knows all these other kids that he created a little better than I do. Because what your friends don't show you, maybe, is like how depressed they are when they come home from school and mom and dad are fighting. What your friends don't show you is how whatever empty religion they're following isn't really making the cut for them. Your friends don't show you this stuff. They don't tell you this stuff. But why would they if you don't ask? Right? They need the gospel. Your friends need Jesus. Do you need Jesus? Yeah. Your friends need Jesus too. They need it. But how are they going to know if you don't tell them? You know, I think we're afraid to feel vulnerable, and I get that. We're afraid to show our real selves to people because it's scary. Look at what Jesus said uh, on this verse right here. He said, I'm sending you out. Let's pull it up right here. The The next part right here. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. What are you talking about, Jesus? This is what I'm imagining in my head. I'm imagining that Jesus and the devil are like playing a video game right here. Like Mortal Kombat, all right? And it's like, choose your character. This is how you're going to spread your message throughout the world. The devil's choosing his character to spread the message throughout the world. Jesus is choosing his character, okay? It's Mortal Kombat. It's, it's a, they're fighting each other. It's like, choose your character. So the devil's like, angry wolf. Beep. He chooses the wolf. And it's just like the whole pose thing. You get this growling wolf. And it's big and it's ferocious. And then Jesus, on the other hand, he goes over to his character. Little lamb. What are you doing, Jesus? I don't want to be Mary's little lamb. Right? Jesus, make me I want to be like a lion. I want to be like like a like a T-Rex or like something cool. T-Rex arms are kind of funny looking. Maybe not T-Rex. But Jesus, why are you making me? Why are you sending me out like a little lamb amongst wolves? Because here's the deal. Dude, you look at a lamb. Like if I'm a lamb and I'm like looking this way, my eyes are on the side of the head. Lambs literally can't even see straight. Okay? Straight up. They have to go like like this a little bit to kind of like be able to see anything. They're so dumb. Like Jesus, why are you making me a lamb amongst wolves? I know I know. A wolf will be a lamb in a fight every time. Every, straight up. Every single time. So why is Jesus saying this? How does this make us when we feel scared? about being sent by God to do something that scares us in a world that doesn't want to hear the gospel, maybe, and friends that we feel like we're scared to tell them what they might think about us. Like, why is Jesus telling us this? This is an encouraging Jesus. I don't want to be a lamb amongst wolves. Here's the difference between the lamb and the wolf. Yeah, the wolf is faster. The wolf has big teeth. Uh, the wolf 
can smell better, hear better, be able to light us. like stronger, all of that, right? The wolf, come on, come on. The wolf can do all those things, but here's the difference. The lambs have a shepherd who has never lost a battle. That's the difference. The shepherd has never lost a battle to a single wolf. The shepherd who protects, nurtures his lambs. Because if you're a wolf, you're going to lose to the shepherd. But if you're a lamb, you're never going to lose to the wolves because the shepherd is protecting you. But if you're a lamb, what this means for you is when you go out to fulfill the mission of God that God's given you on your life, your confidence can't be in yourself because you're just a lamb, dude. Like, how stupid is that? If a lamb, like, walks out of his house, like, like cool rap music playing, like, I'm the lamb, got, like, the glasses, like, I can do this. I think Jesus is telling us, don't put your confidence in yourself because you're just a lamb. You're not going to make it against the wolves. But I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd who will protect you, who will enable you to go out with boldness, who gives you power. So Jesus sends these guys out. This is what happens, all right? Let's check this out. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. This is when they return. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Hold up. It's like a lamb is going to fight a wolf and the lamb goes up and the wolf's like, I'm going to beat you up, lamb. <laughs> Lamb's like, no, no. <laughs> They go up and the wolf's coming up and the, and the lamb's like, sit down, wolf. Lay down, wolf. Roll over. Go jump off that cliff, wolf. <laughs> they said, Jesus, look at this. He said, I'm sitting out like lambs among wolves. They come back. They were straight up dealing with demon-possessed people. And they said, we had power over them. They were obedient to us. We didn't have to give them treats. They had to obey us. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. That's why. Did you know there's still power in the name of Jesus? There's still power. We are sent together with power. We're not sent out powerless. But the power doesn't come for us. The power comes from the one who sent us. That's who we rely on. It's not on me. It's not on you. It's on Jesus. They have power. And now we use the name of Jesus all the time. And people in our culture use the name of Jesus all the time in powerless ways. So we forget that there's power in the name of Jesus because it's used so much in powerless ways. And people lie about who Jesus is. There's this story in the Bible where dudes go up to a demon-possessed guy. And they're like trying to cast out this demon in the name of Jesus. But these guys don't actually know Jesus. They're not actually followers of Jesus. And the demon is doing like, you know, he's probably doing like his little crab walk up the wall, right? He's doing little creepy demon stuff. They're trying to cast out this demon. And the demon like turns to them. And he's like, I know Paul, the apostle. I know this guy. I know that guy. But who are you? And the demons just straight up wreck this dude. Okay? Why? Because he used the name of Jesus. But the name of Jesus has no power if you don't believe in it. 
The name of Jesus only has power and has unlimited power if you believe in it. So first and foremost, do you believe in the name of Jesus? Because if you don't, then this whole message, this whole series is a waste of time for you. You have to believe in the name of Jesus. That's the most important thing. Believe that he empowers you, equips you to fulfill this mission. I'm going to close with this. Um, when it comes to Jesus and like following him, as these people were going out and casting out demons, like people who weren't believers were watching this and they were probably like, something's going on here that's like really weird. And maybe they didn't agree with everything that these 72 people said as they were going from town to town. They probably had people who disagreed with them. But here's something the people couldn't deny. They couldn't deny the power of God when they saw demons being cast out and people being healed and lives being changed. And when it comes to your boycott, maybe they're not going to agree with you and that's fine. They have the right to do that. But they're still going to be kind of like, there's something just different about that person when they passionately talk about how Jesus changed their life. And even if they don't agree, they might wish it to be true. When I was in high school, senior year, tried out for this play, and I never tried out for a play before. And I got the main part in the play because hardly anybody tried out. So I'm in this play, and I play this character named Curly. And I'm a cowboy. I got my cowboy hat, cowboy boots, all that stuff. And um, so my character is trying to like get this girl named, I think her name is Lori, out of my character, he had all these girlfriends. No, <laughs> this girl named Lori, she goes to this dance with him in, in a wagon called a Surrey. That's what some kind of wagon. And he tells this whole song about a Surrey with a fringe on the top. So it's basically like a wagon with some kind of cool looking like decorations. I know it sounds lame to us today, but back then that was like a sweet ride, all right? It's like, hey, I'll pick you up in the Rari, in the Tessie, whatever. The Surrey with a fringe on top. So he sings this song to her, and they're, and they're sort of like doing this flirting thing where they pretend like they don't like each other, but they actually do. And so he's kind of telling her, like, you know, I'm going to pick you up in this Surrey, which he actually is, but he's pretending that the Surrey is not real because he doesn't want to admit his actual feelings. So he's singing this song, and he's like, um, Chicks and ducks and geese better scurry. That's what I hear. When I picked you out in the Surrey, when I pick you out in the Surrey in the fringe on top. So he, he sings this whole song about taking her on this wagon ride. And then at the very end, he's like, oh, I just made up the whole thing. But then he says this. He says, but, yeah, straight up, right? He says, but don't you wish, this is important, don't you wish there was such a rig, though? Don't you wish that what I'm telling you right now was true. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing the love of Jesus, they're not gonna always agree with you, but whenever I tell somebody about Jesus, at the end of my conversation with them, I ask them, you know, maybe you don't agree, that's fine. I hope you do someday. I hope you pray and you receive Christ as your savior someday. But even if you don't believe it, is there part of you that just wishes this was true. Just hypothetically, 
Do you wish that there was a God who loved you enough to give His only Son to die for you? Do you wish that this is true? And they usually say, yeah. Do people wish that your Jesus was true? If your Jesus is a Jesus that only takes you as far as your comfort, why would anybody wish for that Jesus to be true? They're like, oh, if Jesus isn't more valuable than my comfort, I already have my comfort, why do I need your Jesus? Right? But when they see how passionately reckless and radical you are for your Jesus who saved you and changed your life, they may not agree, but they're going to go like, I kind of wish that's true, at least a little bit. And that's the kind of faith that I strive to have and I hope we can all strive to have. They come back and and they're rejoicing and Jesus says, don't rejoice that you have power, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your life is changed. He's like, I know you cast out these demons, but don't rejoice that you can flex on all these demons. You've got all these RKOs with casting out demons. Look, Jesus is like, yeah, I know you're going to cast out demons. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I RKO'd that dude a long time ago. I got all the power over him. He's got nothing on me. So don't be surprised by that. Rejoice because of this. Your names are written in heaven. Tonight is your name written in heaven. What does that mean? If you're a believer in Jesus, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. If you said, I want to follow you. So think about that. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that... Your name is written in heaven. You have a mission. You leave all behind. You follow Jesus. You are sent by Him to your campus with power. And you are never alone. We are always sent together. Okay? Right now, let's circle up and we got a couple of questions we're going to do.